Today's episode of the Sidious Mag Podcast on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network is brought to you by another show in the family. That's right. It's Runners of NYC. Gene Mack and I are five episodes deep into telling some never-before-heard stories behind some of the everyday runners, the legends, and the luminaries of the New York City running scene. We're hitting a wide range of races, ages, genders, social classes, and every episode comes with its own unique surprises. Gene and I have had a lot of fun telling the first few stories, and we're looking to keep it going. There's 8 million people in New York, and that's a lot of runners among them, so we've got quite a bit of work cut out for us. And you don't have to be a New Yorker to enjoy the show. These guests are inspiring, heartwarming, and they just make you feel. So check it out today. It's Runners of NYC, and it's now available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can also follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Runners of NYC. So check it out today, and let me know what you think. Tweet at the show, at Runners of NYC. We'll retweet any feedback. We'll repost it if you are listening to it on our if you and share it on your Instagram stories. Check it out today. My guest for today's show is Camille Heron, who this weekend ran at the Desert Solstice Invitational at a local high school in Phoenix. But it's not your average track meet at a high school. This was a 24-hour race, and she ran a stunning 162.9 miles over 24 hours, and she finished her first 100 miles in 13 hours and 25 minutes, both were new world records set on a track, and Camille might be a name that is familiar to some if you are very into the ultra running scene. She joined that around 2015 after a successful marathon career where she won 21 marathons, and she's qualified for the Olympic trials three times. She also won the Comrades Marathon last year, which for those who aren't as familiar, is a very grueling 89k race in South Africa and this year was a little bit more of a quiet year for her after she scratched from several races due to a femur injury but in July she signed up for Desert Solstice and it's a race that only 33 runners are invited to compete because it serves as the qualifier for the 24-hour team for Team USA and so if you wanted to participate in this race or you walk away from this episode wanting to participate in this race, good luck. I mean, the people who were running had to previously at least run 124 miles in 24 hours or 100 miles in less than 17 hours and 30 minutes. So good luck. I mean, my legs are hurting just reading about uh, these performances, especially Camille's. And so, yeah, legs weren't feeling so great uh, for her after this race. And you'll hear a little bit more about that. Um, But, yeah, so I caught up with Camille on Tuesday for this interview, which originally ran as a QA and a that you can read on SI.com. You can click on that in the show notes. But for my podcast listeners, this is the full interview. It's uncut, so you can get a little extra than what's available to read online. You know, we discuss her training Uh, her performance and how Taco Bell and beer helped her run just, just over, uh, or just under 656 laps on the track. So it's a remarkable performance and I think you'll enjoy this episode. So let's start the show.
All right, Camille. So we are chatting about maybe two days after the uh, the race that you ran over the weekend, the desert solstice. Uh, how much sleep have you gotten? <laughs> I, I it still feels like it's a dream. Uh, it's hard to believe it's been two days already, but um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm getting a little bit better each day. So yeah, I was able to get out of bed better today. <laughs> how tired were your legs after that? 24 hour run because from what I caught on the stream, you needed help getting your pants on. You could barely get up in that moment. I mean, when (laughs) were you actually able to walk on your own? Can you, can you do it now? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, actually yesterday traveling, um, they had to get me a wheelchair. Um, (laughs) I mean, it's, it's hard, hard getting out of the bed and, you know, let alone trying to walk around an airport after doing something like that. So, um, I definitely appreciate the extra support I got. What did you tell people in the airport, I guess, like when they saw you with the wheelchair? It's not like, it's not a medical thing. I just happened to have been running for 24 hours. Um, yeah, like everybody's like, oh, you know, what, what's going on? And I was like, oh, I ran a race. And um, they're like, well, how far did you go? And um, yeah, it was a bit, it was a bit, I don't think people could wrap their heads around running for 24 hours on a track, um, you know, however, 500 or six, what, uh, let's see, 655 loops. <laughs> so yeah, it was, it was pretty mind boggling to, to share that with others. So I want to take a couple steps back and really, I guess, give some context into your running career. So from someone who had a career on the track, then moved to the roads and ultimately found, you know, the trails and the ultra scene. I mean, what is this, Your, I guess, how would you sum up these chapters of your career and where would you say your focus is now? Uh, yeah, I, you know, I've, I've had a pretty interesting running career. Um, I, I was a very good athlete when I was younger. Um, but I had a lot of injuries as well. And going into from high school to college, I ended up getting a medical hardship and, um, just became a recreational runner. And I met my husband who was trying to qualify for the 2004 Olympic marathon trials, um, so I was just a pretty much a hobby runner, a 19 minute 5k runner, you know, I just ran for good health and for fitness and, um, just helping my husband with his career. And he ended up making the Olympic marathon trials. Um, you know, the turning point was 2004 that, um, one day we went out running together and I was running further than him. And, uh, he was kind of curious, like, well, how much are you running? And, you know, as a recreational runner at the time, um, I was putting in 70 miles per week for fun, like not even racing and, or training or doing workouts or anything. So, um, you know, that, that was kind of a turning point and he started coaching me and, um, you know, and it just, my running kind of took off after that. And, um, but yeah, my, my time started to drop pretty quickly and, um, you know, I realized I had a shot to make the Olympic marathon trial. So, um, you know, like, like my husband did, I just committed to the marathon and, um, yeah, so most of my career was marathoning and, um, I realized like I had a serious hip injury, um, back in 2010 and, um, I had to have surgery. I had a hernia and I had to have surgery on my hip. And, um, when I came back, I got back running and I was so appreciative that I could run. And, um, I ended up running the Dallas white rock marathon in 2010 and I won my first marathon. Uh, and it was like, 
Oh, that was really fun. Um, let's keep doing this. <laughs> and so I, I ended up, I was sponsored by marathonguide.com for several years. And, um, you know, they had a bunch of crazy marathoners running all these marathons back to back. And um, it just kind of became a fun thing for me to run all these marathons back to back. And um, yeah, so I, I basically, I made the Olympic marathon trials three times, um, won 21 marathons. Um, just had a lot of fun with it. And um, everybody was like, well, you know, you're running all these marathons, you know, maybe you should give ultra running a shot. So um, that's pretty much how it got going. <laughs> and I guess really the key question is, where does that pain tolerance come from, do you think? I mean, were there signs very early on when you were younger? I mean, was it, you know, cross-country races that you just, you know, really enjoyed? Or is it finding it during the marathons when you when you were so focused on just 26.2? Where did, I guess, you realize that, you know, you have maybe a little bit of a higher pain tolerance <laughs> than the average person? Um, yeah, I, I got to give credit to my, my parents. Um, my, my dad and my grandpa both played basketball at Oklahoma State for Henry Iba. And so I grew up hearing stories from them um, uh, playing for Henry Iba, how, how my dad would practice for six hours without water. Um, so this is back in the, the Bear Bryant era, um, you know, back in the 50s and 60s where, I mean, they just gritted it out. And so as a, as a young kid, I mean, I grew up as a basketball player, you know, aspiring to be like my dad and my grandpa. Um, and so I, I kind of had a no fear attitude as a kid. Um, I mean, I, I like fell into a swimming pool when I was younger um, and, and I almost drowned. And um, basically what happened was I was looking into a pool and I was curious of how deep it was and I couldn't even swim. I just fell in. And like, I mean, it's hard to believe that like I just fell in, like just curious, like I wonder how deep this pool is. I can't swim. And then my mom had to dive in to get me. And so I joked that I, I didn't, my mom was a swimmer. And so I probably got my endurance from my mom. Um, and so she dived in to get me and um, save me from uh, drowning. And I mean, I just had this like innate ability to like not fear like anything and not uh, just extreme pain tolerance. Um, I remember like uh, one story is when I was seven and I got a basketball goal for my birthday um, so I heard these stories about my dad practicing, you know, for six hours without water. And so in my young mind, I thought that that's what I had to do. So I would literally push myself, you know, in the middle of July practicing until I would start to black out. And, you know, I mean, how many little kids would do something like that? You know, I thought that's what I had to do to get better. And so, I, you know, I would hit this point of like blacking out and then I would go inside and eat some food, you know, drink a Coke um, and then go back out and keep practicing. So I just had this like just I mean, it's just kind of ingrained in me. You know, I got it from my parents pretty much. So. And then for basketball, how, how far did you take it and when did you decide to leave that behind? Uh, yeah, so I like a huge turning point for me is I remember um, I heard these stories from my dad and I remember seeing on TV uh, Lynette Woodard. Uh, she was the first female globetrotter. Uh, so I saw her on TV when I was about three 
And um, I grew up wanting to become a globetrotter. Uh, so I was a very good uh, ball handler. Um, my dad was a good free throw shooter. I mean, I, I grew up like, you know, you got to be able to play defense. You got to be able to shoot. You got to be able to make free throws. So I was kind of the type of person that, uh, you know, it really just, I, I was, I was, I was a stage performer. Uh, you know, I was the type of person that like, you know, it comes down to the line and you've got to nail the free throws. Um, and so my, I really got that from my dad and, um, you know, going into junior high was kind of the turning point of, um, our basketball team had to go out for, uh, track for off season conditioning. And, um, literally from the first day, like I found out I could just run and run and run. And I just thought everybody on my team was just a bunch of wimps. <laughs> I didn't understand, you know, that I had a unique physiology to me. And, um, and so, you know, we had to try out for all the events and, um, you know, the further the distance, the better I did. Um, and so, yeah, I, I ended up going out for cross country in the fall and I think it was cross country that really made me fall in love with running. And, um, I loved running over hills and, um, you know, it was just cross country was really my first love. Um, but yeah, I basically gave up, I gave up basketball after, uh, after the eighth grade, um, going into high school, I just realized like running was just such a natural thing to me. And, um, I just needed to focus on that. So, and did you ever learn to swim? I did. I was, I was definitely afraid of the water. Um, you know, it's, it's almost kind of unfortunate because I, I'm really long. Like I probably would have been a pretty good swimmer, but, uh, you know, what, what was swimming's loss was running's gain, I guess. Yeah. And I guess back to, I guess a little bit of the point where you, you mentioned like you, you saw how you stacked up against the rest of your teammates. And then it kind of like brings me it, it brings to mind the Japanese marathoner who won the Boston Marathon, uh, Yuki Kauchi, who in the New York Times mm -hmm. article that was written about him, they mentioned how, you know, he, there is like a physiological advantage that, that he has and how he's able to recover, I think, a little bit quicker than someone else. And it's just something that's in his genes. And he's got he's got he's got this factor behind him. Yeah. Have you ever seen any sort of doctor or physiologist who has said, you know, you have this innate ability or something that helps you, you know, recover faster or push through certain limits that other people might have? Yeah, I, I definitely think that there is a genetic component. And the reason I know that is because um, both my mom and my brother have had like crazy things happen to them. My mom like tore her rotator cuff and, and like she fell off a ladder and like tore a rotator cuff and she just acted like, Oh, it's no big deal. You know? And I mean, if that happened to a normal person, they would be in a pain. And they would go see the doctor and my mom like brushed it off like, oh, it's no big deal. And she went for like two years um, without seeing a doctor. And um, she finally went and saw the doctor and they said that she had torn her rotator cuff and she had to have surgery. Um, and so I, I really think I got like some sort of crazy pain tolerance or um, super mitochondria or something from my mom. Um, and then, yeah, my brother, same thing. I think my brother got it too. Um, he, he got thrown off a moped and um, tore, his, tore up his knee. And um, yeah, and I, 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 I have no idea what it is, but I mean, I was able to do back-to-back -back marathons and, and people thought I was insane or something. 
thing. Um, I, I mean, I've had a lot of injuries too in my career that I've pushed through. I, I had I had seven stress fractures when I was a young athlete. Um, I grew really quickly. I'm I'm pretty tall for a runner. Um, and I just it was like I would break down, and I didn't know I was broken down because I can tolerate so much pain. You mentioned your brother. I mean, is is that your your only sibling, or, or do you have other brothers and sisters? Uh, yeah, I have a brother and two sisters, and um, both my sisters were kind of minimally, and um, they were kind of minimally active in sports. And um, my brother was a pretty good athlete. And um, in fact, he was he was my training partner when we were younger. Um, he's three years younger than me, and so we were we were pretty comparable when um, when we were both getting into running. Um, but my my dad tells the story that um, that he used to go drop us off to go run around this field. And my brother would be cutting the corners and I never cut the corner. I never took a shortcut. And so my dad says that he knew that I was going to be the one that became the runner. And uh, my brother ended up going on to, he, he kind of got into more into girls when he was in high school. So, <laughs> And what do they all make of just where you've taken your running career and just how literally how far you've taken <laughs> um, yeah i mean there my my family is probably the least surprised of what i've done um you know they they know everything that i've been through and everything i've had to overcome i mean i i do have a pretty remarkable life story and um, yeah i mean there's just there's just so many situations throughout my life you know that have made me what i am and you know my my family's definitely very proud and my my brother uh calls he called, he says, I'm the beast. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a literal beast. And I mean, even, even the way I run, you know, I mean, my hair is flying. I, I literally look like I've got a lion's mane on me. Uh, so, um, so yeah, they're, they're definitely ecstatic. And, um, and yeah, and the support of my husband, I mean, my husband, uh, they, they called my husband tough as Nels when he was in college. Um, so he was, my husband was a really good athlete and, you know, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for him and his support and guidance. Definitely. So where, at what point, I guess you mentioned how you fared very well in the marathon. When did you really, I guess, wrap your head around the fact of, you know, ultra marathons and specifically, I guess, like maybe even like the hundred mile distance that's getting into triple digits. And for a lot of people, even just 26.2 or even some, some crowds, 13.1 is just enough (laughs) for them. But for you, hitting triple digits for the first time. When did that seem like something you could do? Yeah. Um, well, my, my first couple of attempts at ultra, um, I ran, uh, well, so I, I went and ran the New York City Marathon back in 2011. And um, David Monty planted the seed that, hey, you know, why don't you think about running two oceans? Um, which is uh, 56 kilometers in South Africa. And so um, that ended up being my first ultra. And my, my first couple ultras did not go so well, and not as well as I was hoping they would. Um, and so going into 2015 was kind of the turning point of, okay, I've got to try again. You know, it's one of those things that you got to try, try again. Um, and so I ended up running the 100K and the Mad City 100K, which is a U.S. championship. And I mean, it was really scary. 
Um, let me tell you, you know, running, running a marathon times two and a little bit further, I mean, that's a scary thing. And I mean, it, it takes not too many marathoners do that. I mean, it takes a lot of courage, you know, to go run into unknown, you know, you're, you're going from your comfort zone and to doing something completely, you know, you have no idea, like, am I going to sink or am I going to swim, you know? <laughs> and so, um, so I ran my first hundred K and, um, I was basically driving to work on a Monday and, um, the race director called me and was like, Hey, you broke all these records, um, including a record by Ann Trayson. Um, and so I, I mean, I kind of vaguely heard of Ann Trayson, but I really had to like kind of Google who she was. And, um, I realized she's pretty much, you know, the greatest of all time ultra runner. <laughs> so, um, that was when it, it dawned on me that, oh, wow, you know, maybe I really can do this ultra running thing. Yeah. And then 24 hours. Now that's something <laughs> totally bananas. Oh, to- totally. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm about three and a half years um, into this whole ultra running journey. And um, I mean, most of my focus has been on road ultras and trying to trying to, you know, go after these world records, trying to run comrades. And, you know, I've gotten to the point where I've just about achieved like almost everything I wanted to achieve as a road ultra runner. Um, you know, but but I'm inspired by Giannis Koros. Um, Giannis is probably the greatest male ultra runner of all time. You know, he did amazing feats for 24 hours and beyond. Um, and it's scary. You know, it's scary, like I said, going from marathon to 100K and then 100 miles and then 24 hours. And so I was probably the least experienced person, you know, running my first full 24 hour event. But at the same time, like, you know, a lot of it is just believing in yourself and believing, you know, that I have this innate, you know, innate ability, you know, that, that is extraordinary. Um, and so, you know, you don't know it's possible until you try. And, um, you know, I just kind of went into it with a no fear attitude that I was just going to do it. You know, I was, I'm sponsored by Nike. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, you know, our whole motto is just do it. And so I just committed to going that distance and going after the world record. Yeah. And I guess in your preparation for all of this, which we'll get to in, in just a sec, but I mean, when did you set your sights on the record? You've set a bunch of other records at, at, at various other distances, but it's just like, this is something that's totally different. And there was a lot of attention going into this race because Courtney was pretty open about going after it as well. And there was the, the she had a New York Times profile that even brought more attention to it going into it. And then to see her, I guess, not you know, perform as well as she, she would have hoped. And then you stole the show. I think it was, it was pretty remarkable to watch. So for you, I guess, when did you say to yourself, like, I think I'm going to go for it and I have a good shot and how, I mean, keeping it kind of, was it, was it very public? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was definitely a really cool experience and um, to be able to share a t- 20, 24 hours on a track with so many amazing athletes, um, including Courtney. Um, you know, I, I think that the thing is, you know, I, I don't sell myself short, you know, I've done amazing things, you know, up to a hundred miles and, you know, taking what I did at a hundred miles. Um, I think I was 9.7% off the men's world record. Um, and so, you know, 9.7% 
for off the men's 24 hour record is like 170 miles. So I felt like, you know, I wasn't just aiming for the the world record. I wasn't just aiming to beat Courtney. I was aiming to raise the bar like I did for my hundred mile record. Um, you know, I think, I think I'm born with a really special gift and I feel really blessed for that. And I've really just got to make the most of it. So yeah, and I guess you mentioned that that percentage and just how small it is for people who aren't as familiar with ultra running and like those longer distances. What's that really say about that side of the sport? Because the gap, you know, on the track is pretty big between world records. But once you get to these longer distances, it's much smaller. And sometimes, you know, women dominate the men. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really it's really amazing. Um, you know, I I think like in ultra running, um, you know, we're just at the precipitous of what women can do for 24 hours and beyond. And you know, seeing people like Courtney and me step up to those distances and you know, we're closing the gap on men and um, maybe even under 10%, you know, as I did for 100 miles and um, you know, and I I I I kind of equate it to and the women's marathon in the 70s, you know, we got under 240, you know, and then we got under 230 and now we're under 220. So, um, you know, and it was just, I feel like, you know, it's really good to be having more mainstream attention and to ultra running and we're going to help to usher in, you know, more top level talent and, you know, trying to step up and, and go for records. And, and so, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool to be, you know, on the, the cusp of that and to be continuing to raise the bar. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really happy with what I did so far, but at, at the same time, I still, I'm pretty motivated to, you know, continue to chase that 170 mark, you know, and, and to run, you know, within that 10% of Yana's Coro. So, yeah. So where does someone start in trying to prepare themselves to handle a 24 hour run? <laughs> uh, gosh, I mean, that, that's such a loaded question. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm three and a half years into this whole ultra running thing now, you know, and, and everybody's like, Oh, you know, I was probably the most inexperienced person, you know, doing, doing this event. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've experimented so much over the years and, um, really I found that it just came back to training like a marathoner. Um, I think that having a background in the marathon, having been a competitive road racer is really an ad advantage. Um, I know how to structure my training and how to do speed work. Um, and there's not really much that I've changed getting into ultra running. Um, I know that there's, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of thoughts on ultra running as far as, you know, trying to do these extreme long runs and back to back long runs. And, I found that when I started trying to push the limits on my training like that, it, it just kind of broke me down. It made me feel more tired. And so when I went back to um, just traditional marathon training, um, I felt better. And I found that, you know, part of, part of being able to race well is just feeling good when you toe the line. And, um, and so it's kind of an experiment. I mean, I, I went into my 100-mile world record, and my longest training run was only 20.5 miles. Wow. So, <laughs> 
So, I mean, I, I run 120 plus miles per week um, on a pretty regular basis. Um, but, you know, I, I run twice a day every day, um, which has really been key to from a health standpoint, you know, being able to be consistent and have good health. And um, I run twice a day every day, but I don't keep I keep my long runs pretty short. Um, and I, you know, I, I, I say that, you know, one of, one of my, um, great heroes is Bill Rogers. Um, you know, I grew up reading Bill Rogers training logs and um, going back to grad school and, you know, he was a twice a day, every day type of runner. Uh, he raced a lot. Um, and that's just kind of been my philosophy. And, um, but yeah, I mean, we, whatever I'm doing works and I think you should stick with what works. And that's, that's just really what it comes down to. And, um, but now we, I mean, we just, we decided to start our coaching business because everybody's like, well, what are you doing differently, you know, from everyone else? And, uh, you know, it, it just really comes back to being a marathoner and just applying what I've learned about myself from that. So the sleep component is something that's pretty interesting. I mean, just staying up for 24 hours like I used to have to do it you know trying to study for finals or any sort of exam but this is for a race I mean with sleep did you toy with anything ahead of time uh, gosh you know it's one of those things where you don't know and um, what you're going to go through until you actually do it and um, so I I pretty much you know just made sure I was like really well rested and um but one one thing that kind of one of my secret components to to me is that um I'm a night owl and I've actually been running late night runs going back to grad school um, I mean, I go out for like 10, 20 mile runs after 10 o'clock at night. So most, most marathoners, you know, would have this like typical, you know, go to bed early, get up early, go for the run. I'm different. <laughs> I'm, I'm really, really different. And my husband, he doesn't understand, um, like how I could go for a 20 mile run at midnight. Um, but it's just kind of part of my weird psyche, I guess. Um, and I've heard, I've heard that Ann Trayson was a little bit the same way. And um, some people, I mean, I go run all times a day. I'll be out there at two o'clock in the afternoon. I'll go at midnight. Um, I just have this kind of weird, like, I just kind of go run when I feel like it. Um, and so, yeah, I, I was really not afraid of the going, running through the night part. And um, I knew that if I did hit any sort of laws that we just needed to troubleshoot it and just keep me moving. And so I, I hit a law about two to 3 a.m. in the morning. And, um, and so they, they had some Taco Bell and some beer, uh, some Rogue Dead Gael, um, appropriately named, um, that they, that they gave, gave to me. And I had to walk a couple laps and eating a taco and um, drinking a beer. And, and I finally started to get feel like I could get going again. Um, but yeah, my, my legs were like rocks. They were just like rocks. I mean, it, it got cold and I was a little bit hypothermic. Um, and so... I just, I basically had to use my mind to wheel my legs to keep turning over. And I mean, nothing can prepare you for what that's going to feel like and, and trying to continue to push on. Um, and yeah, that's, that's where your mind takes over your body and over your legs. And um, it was incredible. <laughs> it was amazing. I loved it. I want to stay on this Taco Bell stop for just a sec <laughs> because you, I mean, that's exactly what you mentioned. It's like, you know, at this point you're, you're super tired and you know, how did, 
Taco Bell come into it? Was it something <laughs> that was, you know, mentioned beforehand or who, who, who ordered the Taco Bell that, 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 that showed up there? I want to know more about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, funny enough, like going back to high school, um, I mean, I used to run like three to four track events um, when I was in high school and we used to always go to Taco Bell for lunch. And it just agreed with me. I mean, I would get like two, two to three double-decker tacos, um, and I would bounce back in the afternoon to run like the mile, and I would run great. And so I always knew like Taco Bell's kind of been my go-to because it just sits really well with my gut. Um, and so like I, I've like kept I've kept eating Taco Bell. I mean, I ate it for all my marathons. Like um, I'd eat it the day before the race, and you know, would I was I really, you know, just just ran really well off of Taco Bell. So so yeah, we we pretty much had it prepared for the ultra that um <coughs> hold on just one second. I, I gotta get some coffee here. Yeah, no worries. <coughs> so um so yeah, anyways, um, we knew if I needed any solid food that like Taco Bell was going to be my go-to. And so my, my friend Gretchen, um, she flew out from New York City and uh, she went and did a, a Taco Bell run for me. So, um, so yeah, I, I got to give credit to her for uh, going to get me some double-decker tacos and brought them back. And, um, you know, that, that's pretty much what brought me back from the dead was the, the Taco Bell and the beer. <laughs> that's amazing. And I mean, is there, is that a point in the race where, you know, you, you, you said legs are tired, mind takes over. Can yes. you, are you able to, you know, still talk and like, uh, I, I guess like, like, are people still understanding of what you're saying or is this just, like, <laughs> I feel like I'd be a zombie. <laughs> I, I really did. I really did feel like I was a zombie. And um, I mean, it was, it was this very strange feeling of, you know, and um, yeah, you're trying to push through sleep deprivation and your legs feel like rocks because you're hypothermic. And um, I mean, nothing can prepare you for what that's like. And I, you know, it was kind of the, the, the moment of truth, I guess, you know, whether you have it or you don't. And, you know, I held on. I, I feel I feel pretty, pretty grateful that, you know, it was a pretty close margin. But, you know, for my my first 24 hour event, um, you know, I was able to, to nail it, you know, and get the world record. So definitely. Um, so when you started the race on Saturday. I mean, what are you telling yourself for those first few laps? Because, you know, it's very easy to get super excited, but you, you have, you've got to realize it's like I've got 20, 23 hours and 50 seconds, you know, 59 minutes and like 50 seconds left. You can't get carried away and throw down a 70-second first lap. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, I like, you know, coming from shorter distances, you know, it's hard to wrap your head around running two-minute 400 meter splits, you know, but I'm going 655 loops. So, um, you know, it's, it's hard to wrap your head around. Like you just kind of, you just kind of zone out and you just kind of go into Zen moment of, um, 
clicking off loops. And um, I pretty much had it like kind of mentally segmented that, um, I mean, I was taking a gel every 30 minutes. So, you know, I was just kind of anticipating taking my gel and, um, and then every four hours we were changing directions. So it's kind of like, you know, you get going and two hours to pass another two hours to pass and then you change directions. Um, and I, and then I, I kind of thought of it as, um, in thirds almost like I was trying to get to a hundred miles and then I was trying to take on, you know, the last like 60 to 70 miles. Um, so yeah, you, you, you just kind of had to mentally break it down, you know, and not think, okay, I'm running 160 plus miles, you know, it's like, okay, I'm taking it a lap at a time, four hours at a time. Um, and then, I mean, it's, it's a really cool experience because you're sharing it, you're sharing 24 hours on a track with, you know, 30 something athletes and you're seeing each other's highs and lows that you go through and you're cheering each other on. And so it's a pretty intimate, you know, personal type of experience. And, and that like, just kind of kept you going. And so, yeah, it's it just really, really neat experience. So your performance, I'm sure inspired some of the people around you, but what is one performance that really, I guess, helped you, I guess, as you were running laps and laps and laps around the track, I saw that there was, you know, someone who ran in sandals, someone who ran barefoot. <laughs> I mean, there was just crazies everywhere. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was, it was incredible. And, um, you know, it was, it was really cool, you know, how, how we all kind of approached it differently. Um, I was, I was approaching it more like Giannis Coros did where, um, he would, he would basically bank miles and then, um, and then like push through the night. So he would try to run a really fast hundred and then just hold on through the night. And so that was kind of my strategy, but, you know, I have my friend Bob Hearn, um, who's like 53 years old, and this guy is like a machine. And um, he was just, he went out slower, and he was like walking and jogging, and, and I was like, well, really, uh, you know, it was, it was just kind of strange. It was like, here I'm like, I, we had completely opposite strategies, where I'm going out hard and, you know, trying to bake miles. He's going out slow, but then through the night, he started, he was laughing me. He was passing me. And I was just like, Bob, I was, I was like cheering him on, like, go, Bob, go, you know, like what a machine. Um, so that was, that was the really neat thing was that, you know, we could cheer each other on and we had different strategies. I mean, I saw people puking, going in the restroom, you know, stopping, changing their shoes. I mean, people have no idea, like people that haven't done this. I mean, it's, I ran, you know, whatever I did, but I mean, that's, you know, with, with rest stops, you know, walking a few laps, eating tacos and beer. And, um, I mean, ultra running is just this really cool experience of, you know, a day in the life, you know, on a track, 24 hours running. I mean, it was just, it was just incredible. So, so while fueling and drinking and eating during the actual run, how much did you consume? Have you, you know, calculated or listed out <laughs> what exactly it took to get you to the finish? Yeah. Um, I like, it's funny cause I, I got to give a shout out for my, for my watch. Um, I have this really awesome watch and um, the, it's, it's the Coros Apex, um, and so I was looking at the stats on it after the race and it said I burned like 10,000 calories. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it may, it may have been more, 
I'd have to do the math because that, that, I don't know if that was just one day or, or cause it, you know, it went from Saturday to Sunday. So it may have been more than that. Um, but yeah, I, I was, the thing I was really shocked about was when I got home, my weight was like exactly perfect. Like whatever I had done, I was fueling and hydrating well enough to maintain my weight. And so um, I think I think my husband said I had like 40 plus gels. Um, I was drinking soda, sports drink. Um, you know, I had a couple beers. I had taco. Um, you know, it's just it was it was kind of amazing that um, you know you're you're consuming all these things. You know, and that's that's one thing of ultra runners is that um, you know you got to have a gut of still. Like, you know, the fact that I can eat Taco Bell and like keep running. I mean, that's, that's probably like people, you know, just blows their mind. I could do that. But um, I guess that's one of, one of my talents that I have. So (laughs) another strategic thing that you did was that you changed shoes, I think three or four times during the race. What was the, uh, the game plan behind that? Yeah. Um, so I had, I had three pairs of shoes. So, um, Nike had sent me some Nike vapor flies. So I had two pairs of Nike vapor flies and then a pair of Pegasus turbo. Um, and so, uh, you know, I felt the shoes were amazing. Like I've done a lot of training in the new Flyknit vapor, vapor flies. And, um, I mean, they've, they've worked awesome for my feet. And I hit, I kind of hit a point. Like I knew that if I had ever hit a point where I felt like I needed to change my shoes, you know, I had other options. And so I kind of hit a point where, um, it was almost like I felt like a rock in my shoe or something like that. And I, I tried to stop and, um, adjust my shoe. I thought, I thought, well, you know, I, I wasn't feeling a rock in there, but just kind of felt like the material was kind of like bunching up or something, you know, after all those loops on the circle, it's like weird things start to go wrong. So I, I tried to adjust my shoe and then I realized, okay, you know, I, th- I kind of feel like I need to change my shoes. So I, I went to my second pair of vapor flies and, and, and I think I went a couple more hours in those. And then, um, and then I just kind of hit a point where I just felt like I needed kind of like a, a softer shoe. Like, uh, you know, you're running a slow pace through the night and, um, and then I just ended up switching to the Pegasus turbo. Um, and I, I love that shoe. I mean, it's the upper on that shoe is just amazing. And, and that just, that was, that would probably be my go-to shoe if I was doing like multi-day type racing and um, like 48 hours and beyond. And when you're, you're just going a slow pace and you kind of need a, a soft, relaxed shoe. And so I felt like the Vaporfly was like, you know, it was perfect, like, you know, up to point. And then I just kind of hit a point where, I mean, you're on your feet for a long time and you kind of need to go to kind of more soft uh, cushioning. So, yeah. And I caught some of the live stream as it was going on, but then I missed the actual finish. So can you describe what it was like, I guess, when the clock (laughs) hits 24 and it's just like, are you, did they tell you just like, stop? And then it's like, (laughs) and do you, could you pump the brakes that quick? What was going on there? Uh, yeah, it was, it was so cool. I, I, uh, I knew I was going to hit the world record with about 15 to 20 minutes of spare. And so, um, you know, people started gathering around the track and, um, you know, that's the cool thing is that, you know, we're, we're accessible, like, you know, people can get down on the track and cheer us on. And, um, so yeah, once I hit the world record, um, 
I, I knew I had to keep going. Like, it's like, you got to keep going, you know, you got to put it, put it, you know, a little bit higher than what it was. And, um, so yeah, I just kept going that extra 15 minutes and, um, yeah. And then it's, it's funny because they, they have, they have a bunch of timers that are, you know, going around with you. And then they basically like stake, um, stake the point where you set the record. And so, um, Haley Pollock is a race director. She's like running beside me, you know, and once we hit 24 hours, she like put it down in the, in the grass on the infield. So, um, yeah, it was, it was, I, I was so happy to be done. (laughs) I mean, it's, it was just, it was just incredible to think like I just run for 24 hours and everything we'd gone through and, um, you know, for, for me, the, the coolest part was um, sunset uh, when the sun went down because it was really hot during the afternoon. And, you know, we were kind of waiting for that that reprieve from the sun. And then when the sun came up um, at sunset, you know, it was kind of that sign that, okay, we're about to finish, you know. And so, yeah, I, you know, I was just counting down, you know, at every 30-minute blocks, you know, until I got to 8 a.m. And it was – I was so happy to be done. <laughs> That's amazing. And I watched some of those clips after the race where you said that, you know, you hadn't really raced too much going into this. And I guess the North Face 50 was was on your calendar, but then it got canceled. Um, so I guess 2018 in general – what was it, what was it like for you? And this is just the ultimate way to cap it off. Yeah. Yeah. And 2018, I mean, it's, it's been a really hard year for me. Um, I, I had such an amazing year, 2017, um, but it just really shredded my body. And, and I just, I kept having one thing after another happen um, this year. And I ended up getting a stress reaction, my femur, um, back in May and um, before comrades. And so I wasn't able to go back to comrades, um, or do Western States. So I pretty much had to spend the summer just trying to rehab my leg. Um, but I, I signed up for desert solstice back in July and, um, I felt like, you know, I wanted to end the year on a positive note. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I kind of had, you know, had to look at the long-term view of, you know, okay, I gotta get myself back running and, you know, spent this fall just building my fitness back. And, um, I'm the type of person where, uh, I need, I need to do like a big race before I do like my peak race. And so I signed up for the, the North Face 50 thinking that, you know, I was really, I was feeling really, really good at that point. And I wanted to do something to kind of get myself back in that race mode before Desert Solstice. Uh, and I mean, most people would be like, are you crazy? That's like three weeks apart. Uh, but I, I, I think I'm, something's not right about me, <laughs> you know, mentally or physically. Um, I'm different. I'm, I definitely feel like I'm different. And so, um, you know, it was really unfortunate that the North Face 50 got canceled. Um, but, you know, I just, just refocused on, you know, just trying to be fresh and feel good for uh, Desert Solstice. So um, I kind of I felt like I was race rusty. Um, everybody, everybody's like, oh, you know, you were more rested, you know, for desert solstice. And I kind of felt like I wish I had gotten to do some sort of race, um, you know, a couple of weeks out. And I think it would have, um, it kind of would have helped to boost my fitness for desert solstice, but you know, what can I say? I mean, it still was, you know, pretty much a home run. So <laughs> yeah. And to, I guess just the general sports fan who comes across a headline and sees that you, you know, ran, 
this crazy record for 24 hours or just even just like this crazy distance. It's totally remarkable. But I guess like within the ultra running community, what's I guess like sort of like the general perception of a 24 hour run? Because I hear that it's not run way too often and it's, you know, the, the record is incredible, but it's just like that no two ultra marathons or some of these races are ever the same or, or alike. Um, yeah. So, I mean, 20, 24 hours is, um, it's, it's a world championship. So, I mean, it's definitely a highly contested event. Um, but you know, there's not, I would say up to about a hundred miles or so. And there's most, a lot of the top women are running, you know, comrades, you know, 55 miles, or they're doing trail running, you know, running Western States or UTMB. So, you know, it's really cool that people like me and Courtney are doing 24 hour events because you know now we're starting to pique the interest of other people to try it and um, but but yeah you know to put it in perspective you know I ran 9.7 percent off the men's 100 mile world record for you know 100 miles and so you know stepping up to 24 hours you know I, you know, I, I just think that, you know, what, what I'm doing, what Courtney's doing, you know, I, I think we're going to usher in for more women to start, you know, creeping up, you know, 160, 165, 170 miles. I mean, it's, it's, we're just, we're just at this moment where women are just doing amazing things and ultra running. I just think it's going to keep going higher. So. And so when you hear the number 655.48, <laughs> I mean, what's, what's it like to hear that number now? <laughs> um, it was really hard to wrap my head around that. I mean, I, <laughs> I think they were, they were counting down the laps and like they, they said, Oh, you've got 50 laps to go. You know, <laughs> it's like, uh, that was really hard to digest. Like, Oh my gosh, I've run 600 something laps. I've still got 50 laps. I mean, it's, you know, a 10 K on a track. What, how many laps is that? Like 25 laps or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Or, um, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's just pretty mind boggling um, to think that, you know, you're running a full day on a track and, you know, all these things that happen. And, um, you know, it's just the ultra runner mindset of your mind takes over at some point, um, you know, through the night and trying to will your legs. And, um, you know, it's just a, just a totally different experience. So. Yeah. And you mentioned that this is a world championship event and I think it's next yeah. October in France. Yeah. If, if this was me and I, and I did this, I'd be like, once was enough, 24 hours. <laughs> like, that's great. But you seem to want to do it again. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I like, I, I, I learned so much from the experience. Um, you know, that was my first time to push through the night and, um, I didn't anticipate my legs to get as stiff as they did. I mean, I was trying to do wind sprints, you know, taking in caffeine, you know, drinking Coke, like all these things, you know, try to get my legs going. So, um, so yeah, we, we've just got to troubleshoot better. And, you know, I still believe the magic mark for me is to get to 170. Um, and so, you know, now that I've made the world championship team, I mean, we've got an amazing team of women and um, it's going to be really cool next October. Um, I'm really impressed that, you know, you know that like, <laughs> it's really cool that that you have the knowledge to know that yeah you know we, we our world championship would be in france next october and uh, we've got an amazing team and um you know f- for for me like i'm a competitive athlete like i felt like it was it was a bit like 
deflating to me that, you know, at, at Desert Solstice that, you know, a lot of runners were having issues and had to bow out early. And so I'm really looking forward to going to the world championship, you know, and having that competitive um, spirit, you know, and um, to push me to get to 170. And so um, right now I physically can't run, but, you know, give me a couple more weeks here and I'll be back at it and, and thinking about my goals for 2019. So... That was going to be my next question is when is the first <laughs> run back after all of this? Oh gosh. Um, I, I don't really know. Um, <laughs> we're, I, my husband said at least maybe 10 days. Um, we're actually going to Ireland next week. Um, so we're going to spend Christmas over in Ireland. And so, yeah, well, I'll probably be over in Ireland um, when I get back running. So Awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you the four questions that I ask every guest that I have on my podcast. So the first one is, what's a funny or most interesting drug testing story that you have? Because I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> if this was a world record, you had to get drug tested afterwards, right? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, my gosh. Yeah. I've, I've been, I've had some, <laughs> you know, we, we joke that, you know, we, you, you become very intimate with your, your chaperone. <laughs> and so, um, I guess I, uh, let's see, probably, probably one of the most interesting things was, um, when I competed at Doha and um, the 50 K world championship. Um, so, so Qatar, like they don't have alcohol. And I finished the race. There's like no beer. There's like not really any celebration. I mean, I think they went and brought me like a pizza. So I'm, I'm having to sit in drug testing. The, the race was in the evening time. So it started at like six and then it got to nine. And, you know, it's kind of this like Debbie Downer moment of, oh, I just won a world championship. There's no beer. Um, I had to go drug testing. They're like feeding me pizza. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we were, we were having a joke about it, about how we just couldn't wait to have a beer. <laughs> um, I, I don't think we got a beer until like the flight, like the next day, like flying to Germany or something like that. We were just dying for a beer. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, next question I ask every guest is what's the meanest thing that you've read about yourself on let's run.com? <laughs> I, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't really read let's run. Um, I, yeah, I know. I, <laughs> I guess, I guess now I, I, I you know, is it, is it a safe space now? <laughs> I don't even know. Like are people saying nice things, but, um, it's probably, it's probably good to not read let's run. Um, yeah, I don't I don't really know what what they're what they're saying, but maybe somebody can tell me if anybody's saying anything mean about me. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Everyone's got critics on there. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Um then the next question is uh if you could go on a run anywhere in the world, uh assuming and with anyone from history, assuming they could hold a nice conversational pace with you, where would this run take place and who would it be with? Oh, that's a great question. Well, uh, we're going to Ireland, um, and my, my husband's from Ireland, so we, we've probably been there like at least 10 times. Um, and my favorite place to go to is the Cliffs of Moor on the West Coast. Um, and I would go with a run with Paula Radcliffe. Um, I, I actually saw Paula when I was at the, um, New York City Marathon back in 2011. And um, I was, I mean, it was, it was kind of this cool experience because I'm having dinner with Meb 
and his wife. And um, and so we're sitting on the table beside Paula Radcliffe. And I literally thought I was going to like fall out of my chair. And I never, I never went over to go say hi or introduce myself. And so I felt, I always feel like I kind of missed my moment. So I would go for a run with Paula at the Costa Moore. Yeah, and I'm sure if she gets if she's already hasn't uh, done so, she it gets wind of what happened this past weekend. <laughs> she would think it's remarkable. <laughs> um, I think I think she had she did comment on something one of my records that I did. So I think she knows who I am. But uh, but yeah, I would definitely be over the moon to actually meet her and go for a run. I'm sure we would probably hit it off and have a good time together. <laughs> I think that it can definitely happen. And now the final question I ask every guest has nothing to do with running. Uh, it has more to do with basketball, which you have a background in. So you get 25 shots from half court. If you make one, you win $25 million. If you don't make any, then you go to jail for 25 years. Oh. Would you attempt these shots? Absolutely. Yeah, you've I have, got the background, so I think you'd oh, be fine. <laughs> I'm a, oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. I mean, that that was my whole thing. My, my dad always taught me to be able to perform under pressure. And, um, you know, that's one of my talents as an athlete is that, you know, I took the line at Comrades or World Championship or going after a world record, and I, I commit myself. Like, I'm committed. I'm going to nail this. Like, that is like – that's what I'm good at. And, um, yeah, there's, if there's anything, you know, one, one of my friends, Scott Coomer, um, he said that if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. So, you know, I would know, I would definitely know those half court shots. Uh, that's awesome to hear. <laughs> All right. Camille. Well, thank you so much for taking the time for this. And, you know, I wish you the best of luck in this recovery over the next, you know, 10 or so days. And, uh, <laughs> We can't wait to see you back out there running again. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Thank you, Chris. So thanks again to Camille for taking the time for that interview. That does it for this episode of the Sirius Mac Podcast. Go back and listen to the 100-plus episodes that we have already available for you. Uh, I might throw up a bonus episode later this week, depending on how my schedule shakes out. Uh, but looking ahead, I'm already working on booking a couple guests. It's going to get a little busy around the holiday season, but I will try and deliver a podcast on time for you guys. And I think we might have a new sponsor coming on to the show very soon. But this episode was brought to you by Runners of NYC. Be sure to check it out. I've had a lot of fun working on this show with Gene Mack. And the most recent episode tells a very inspiring story of Hector Espinal, who is one of the leaders of the We Run Uptown Cruise in New York City. He's not a skinny guy, and this guy puts in the work. His New York City Marathon story is remarkable, and we discuss all things Uptown running. So check it out. I'm sure you'll walk away pretty inspired. Um, so it's Runners of NYC. Go subscribe today and leave a five-star review. I've been your host, Chris Chavez, wishing you some happy and healthy running. And don't forget, legs are feeling good. And you know what? While you're at it, buy a mug or a T-shirt. I've included that in the show notes as well. I'll see you next time.